my job, the church, uh, what's going to happen to my family, like just all, all the stuff thinking, what's going to happen to my kids, what's going to happen to, and I think of other people's problems, and I, I carry those as well, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, what am I going to do, ah, I need a holiday, you know, it's just too much, it was building up, and I realized I don't want another year like that, even if our circumstances don't change, our response to them can, and I thought this picture was perfect, Is you know, it's, 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 Cutting off one part of it. If we begin our year with I can't, you immediately admit a defeat for a battle you haven't even seen yet. If you keep saying I can't or I won't, then you are the one that has prevented any forward progress in success. And I don't mean success being business success. I mean success in having the end of your day, you come to a place of peace. What is success? Don't let anybody else tell you what it is. Don't let me tell you what it is. But also, don't listen to what TV and media tells you what it is. Do not listen to Facebook and what it says success is. It's a lie. Success is the people around you, the connections you have. Do you have a really good friend? One? That's success. Really, be careful. Be careful on how you define it, because I think we mess it up ourselves. And so I want to resolve in advance. I know too many times I've, I personally have not been prepared for certain blind sides, and boom, I react. How many here react? Does anybody react? Do you have certain reactions? Don't tell them out loud, because some of them may not be safe for a church setting. <laughs> there are certain phrases that come out of our mouth at certain times, certain, um, yeah, they don't glorify God, <laughs> you know, uh, certain gestures that flow from our hands when we're in a roundabout to individuals who just, oh, Jerry's putting his hand, oh, yeah, yeah, see, Jerry just got that gesture. See, we get it. We react, we react, we react. I will say this, 2019 has been a different year for me in a good way where I've practiced new reactions, mostly with driving, but it, it, it makes a difference. Where I would have been really ticked and, and come on, you idiot, which is a common term coming out of my mouth for people that are too slow in front of me, and, uh, and then what a jerk is when people are much faster than me. See, everybody, if you're not with me, you're either an idiot or a jerk, you know? <laughs> Too. I know it. I know what happens. If you don't say it out loud, you think it. Oh, Janet. Oh, that was a lie. I just caught that. <laughs> she said, not me. <laughs> but I learned to slow down in my responses because I've witnessed too many years of really bad counter reactions for my reactions. And I've been wrong at times. I've even had to mouth, I'm really sorry, I'm sorry to people when I wasn't paying attention. I was just driving too close behind them. And I realized, oh my goodness, whoa, hang on. I'm not mad. But to everyone else, it looks like I am because you're riding their tail, right? Or just the other day, that could be my daughter in front of me, you know? <laughs> so I have to be careful. <laughs> you know, certain people drive slower and more carefully. They could be new drivers. 
Now, that's just in the driving illustration because that's the safest one that everybody here can identify with. We have home situations and so on as well. But my, re- my reactions are slowing down, and I'm doing this one, two, three pause, maybe even five, sometimes ten. But there's this pause of, hmm, Father, be my peace right now because what normally comes out is not usually peaceful. And then I get accused of being angry all the time, and I'm not. I'm just... This is my reaction. And I know my spirit. I wasn't angry, but it, then I realized that if I step out and look at myself and go, yeah, I could, yeah, it probably looks angry. Hmm. How others view us, we do need to listen once in a while. And those who have a hard time hearing that, <clears throat> me, um, it takes time. And I pray for people, especially my family, they'll be patient with me as I continue to learn the one, two, three, four, 25, 26, (laughs) whatever it takes to count down and not react to circumstances that normally would tick me off. I want to resolve in advance, because if you don't prepare in advance, you're reacting out of a default. Have you ever thought that you have a default? I had my car battery replaced recent, uh, recently, and uh, um, again, I had a little bit of distrust, so I had a couple second opinions if the battery really was dead. Sure enough, it was. Everybody was telling the truth. And uh, there was this thing called reset in the car. Oh, darn. Fahrenheit to Celsius? Really? Again? I got to Google that. How do I turn it? How do I turn my settings? Oh, my radio stuff. Oh, man. Reset. Everything's back to factory reset. And uh, I wasn't frustrated this time because I knew how to get the answers. But it reminded me that I was frustrated a couple times ago when it's happened. Your factory reset, what is it? I'll tell you what it is. Peace. Patience, kindness, non-irritable. You might be thinking, it's not my default. I know my default. I'm irritable. I'm ticked off easily. No, 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 no. You need a reset. If that's your default right now, you need to go to factory restore. Be set back to your original. And the original setting in you, your spirit, is your oneness with Christ. Psst, here's a secret. Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. That's your default. If you're not living from that default, then you've allowed some other programming to get in the way and alter your reactions in life. We see some wonderful stories in Scripture about resolve. But what is, what is a resolution? What is a resolve? Let's, let's get this clear first. It is to come to a definite or earnest decision about, to determine to do something. I have resolved that I shall live to the full. Okay? That, that's an example of what it means to resolve. Um, a while back, I, um, I had this uh, Fitbit thing going on, and uh, I loved it, and I miss it. And I, I want to start again in January. I want to have an, I want to restart the Fitbit, not for the to kick Rod's butt every time, which I'm going to, um, uh, but it's more about the the staying uh, a little more active intentionally, because I kind of gave it up with all the stupid stress of 2019, and I want to see what I can do. So anyway, that's kind of neat. But it's it's determined to do something. 
planning on, planning on being more mindful of circumstances. When I'm sitting in, a, in an office with a family that's just lost a dear loved one, you know, I'm, I'm bearing a 26-year-old on Monday while her 36-year-old stepsister was buried two weeks before that. Like, what is going on? I want to be mindful in this service on Monday because they're going through stuff they didn't see coming. And I tell you, it's not easy. I want to be understanding. I want to be loving. I want to be a person who is the presence of grace in the room when they can't see it from anywhere else because all they see is darkness. Will you be that? Will you resolve to be that this year, 2020? 2020, that, that's significant. 2020 vision. While the joke is now over, it is about setting your sights on things for better. I know for Hope Fellowship, I believe this is going to be a fantastic year. Yes, there's going to be a lot of change. Wait till next week's sermon. Make sure you be here for that. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun because that's the continuation of today's. But I believe next year will be better. Because I, I, I want to choose to think better. Choose not to dwell on the blind sides, which will come, by the way, because we're warned ahead of time. Don't be surprised when trials and temptations come your way. As in, don't be, but I'm a Christian, that's supposed to happen to me. What are you talking about? It's to happen to everybody. Everybody has stuff happen. Don't be surprised by it. But if you prepare a reaction in advance, you'll be far more equipped to respond and walk through it better. I, uh, I thought, uh, I wish I could remember the meme. I saw it last night. But uh, it was a 100% success in your past. You each of us has a history, 100% success of when faced with great difficulty of getting through it. Because you're here. <laughs> <laughs> now you get it. So, that's a perspective to have when crisis hits. To resolve means to settle or find a solution, a problem dispute or contentious matter, to set it, settle it and solve it and fix it. I'm a fixer. I like fixing problems for people. I don't want them to feel bad. I don't like it when somebody with me is feeling terrible. When I may have a gift of encouragement, I want to give it. They may not be in a place to receive it, though. That's hard to discern. Be wise. A resolve or firm determination to do something or not to do something. And if we don't plan these things in advance, we're in trouble. We're just reacting to life. And I know this past year was a lesson for me. I had been reacting to circumstances coming at me because I'm suddenly trying to find a fix for the problem I think is going to happen. And so I, I spent all this time thinking about the solutions to fix the problem that hasn't happened yet, but might, and I better be prepared. And I, I, I'm exhausted. Poor, my poor wife having to listen to me and hear my frustration and fantasy thinking of, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I know, but it could. Like, it's really written on the wall. I could see it coming. Yeah, but sure enough... A couple of key things did not happen. It's like, oh. you know, I got no more turkey. It's going to be crow in the oven. Yeah. Nehemiah, he reacted to something. 
and then resolved to do something. Nehemiah's story is fantastic. Nehemiah um, was asking about what happened to the people in Jerusalem. He got word that the walls were in disrepair, the gates had been burned down. And when he heard this news, he wept. And something in him caused him to just not, well, I'll pray about the people of Jerusalem, bless their heart. He didn't. He said, I'm going to be a participant in this. I resolved to become active in this. And he resolved in himself to go see the king and present his story. He took a risk by looking sad, which you're not allowed to do in the king's court. All right? He went looking sad. He was the cupbearer to the king. But he was looking sad. You're not supposed to. You can't bring doom and gloom. Why? Why would they have thought that back then? I thought we're sophisticated. I thought we're the ones in our culture and world that should understand, you know, this idea of mood. Mood matters. Do you have somebody at work that's just a downer? They're just kind of like that negative bomb that walks in and goes, oh, they're here. Are you it? Hopefully not. But there's a mood that changes. We can change the mood of a room by walking in it. Every time. And they had an idea of this way back then. This is like 3,000, 4,000 years ago. They knew it back then. We're a little bit slow to pick it up today. And not a lot to be sad in the king's court to bring a sense of sadness or worry to the king who needs to have his mind sharp at all times and in a positive place so he can think clearly. He comes in looking sad, and the king asks, what is going on? You're not normally like this. And then he explains the story and asks the king a favor, and the king and him have such respect. He's earned favor in advance, people. That was not a Don Cherry statement. <laughs> he had established a relationship already with the king so that when he did ask, the king did give him favor. Some of us demand our rights. We demand we get our way without any kind of, I'd say, earning your stripes, without earning the time of relationship and the investment of, of connection that needs to happen in certain circumstances because we want things quick. We think our position, we work for the title, and our title ought to give us that, that immediate response. Uh-uh. That, that's so business world. It's not real. In the business world, it's about manipulation. It's about making money, undercutting. It, sometimes it can be done really well, but often it's, it's pretty selfish. I know many business owners who do a great job, but I also know a couple that are just jerks. And people know that, and they don't want to deal with them. But he had a relationship with the king. So when he did present it, the king gave him everything he needed. The wood to, to build the gates. Like he sent an army. He sent gold. He, like, oh my goodness. This is, I think there was a God thing going on here. You know, where God gave the king the desire to bless Nehemiah. And off he went. But there was a resolve when he heard the good news, the bad news about Jerusalem. Then we have this uh, obvious story that we just walked through recently. Joseph in the New Testament is pretty upset. His girl's pregnant, and he didn't do it. Somebody did. That's how he saw it. He was going to divorce her. He loved her. He's heartbroken. Finally, the angel said, uh-uh, 
this really is from God. And she needed an angelic explanation. You do too. So, after you heard all this, Joseph woke up, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. He resolved, I think, with great joy. (laughs) Yes! He gets to keep the love of his life. He resolved, committed, because he was swaying to the resolve of getting rid of her quietly, as, as nicely, as Canadian, as he could. But no. When more correct information was revealed, he resolved to listen to the objective truth, not the subjective. And the objective truth was the angel saying, this birth was sparked by the Holy Spirit. His subjective truth said, science and history and everyone else knows this does not happen with nobody. It takes two, baby. And here, he resolved to keep her. That was beautiful. Uh, That's a good story of resolve. Then we have the story of Daniel. This one has always inspired me, and I will continue to talk about this story because I love this. This, to me, is the greatest lesson of resolve. Yeah, Daniel, yeah. It's it's me, guys. It's all about me. Yeah. (laughs) Just listen up. It's... (laughs) Sorry, Daniel. I won't single you out, though. Daniel was stolen from his homeland by the Babylonians. All the young, good-looking, strong, teachable men were stolen from Jerusalem and brought to Babylon for indoctrination and training and brainwashing. Before they left, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel had resolved in advance what they were going to do, the things, the line they were not going to cross. Many of us don't even think that far in advance. But they took their faith so seriously. They took their Jewish heritage of refusing to eat unclean. They believed in their God. Even Daniel at one point was tossed in the lion's den because he prayed three times, even though a law was created to not pray, or you will go to the lion's den. He prayed three times a day facing which way? Towards Jerusalem. Do we know any other religions today that pray like a couple of times? Ha! Huh, wonder where they got that from. Huh! Interesting. Don't judge them. And if you do, judge them with love. But Daniel was determined after being offered rich, awesome food because the king wanted to really feed these guys, feed them well, buff them up, you know, whatever they needed to do because these guys were going to be brainwashed into Babylonian theology. This was the new seminary. They were going to Babylonianize the Jews when they came because more were coming and he needed their own people. Like this guy was brilliant. If you take a look at the strategy of Nebuchadnezzar, you would go, my goodness, what an incredible way to take over a nation. He did it. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission to not eat these unacceptable foods. And the story goes like this. The guy said, the king's going to kill me if, I, if you don't. And he said, hey, 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 let's test it for a number of days. Check us out now. Do before and after. You know, you know. And then in 10 days or whatever it is, now compare us. 
And sure enough, after the guys were chewing down the really good, you know, turkey dinner stuff that they were gorging on, and, and these four guys, all they had was the normal bread and water, <laughs> stuff that should not buff them up. They did another selfie and showed them side by side and realized, oh my goodness, these guys look a whole lot better than the guys who are chewing down the other. Now, I forget right now because I didn't have time to look this up because I've only thought of it now. I wonder if the menu got put on those guys and those guys are going, I liked it the other way. <laughs> like, I don't know. But uh, either way, they were given the freedom. Had they not resolved in advance, they would have given in. Had they not resolved to not eat in advance, they would have just reacted like we do in our culture today. Sure, go with the flow in our crazy mindsets. A couple of translations say this. This one says Daniel was determined. This one says, but Daniel was purposed in his heart. That's a deeper inner heart conviction, okay? But Daniel made up his mind. That's a good one. But Daniel resolved. Made up his mind is another excellent way to consider a resolve for next year. Make up in your mind now to be more mindful, to be more loving, to be more like Christ. Decide now. Not, well, if it, you know, after a good meal, I'll think about it and, you know, I'll, I'll decide later. I don't know. Here's some thoughts on Daniel. He resolved in advance, not on the spot. As I, too, am learning about how I react when I drive, and my driving's getting better. <laughs> Imagine that. Nobody believes me, but I know it's getting better. I resolved in advance. Very much like an athletic or intellectual training, medical training, preparing for circumstances, ready to act, um, you need to plan in advance. Is anybody here involved in sports of any kind? Physical sports? And you've got horse stuff, right? Do your horses do the tricks on the first run through? Every time. <laughs> Have you ever trained a horse from untrained to trained? Okay. It doesn't happen overnight. And there are some tricks up your sleeve that you have to use to train it to get it to listen. But it takes time and trust, I think. Right? There's a relationship with a horse. I know it sounds crazy, but I know it's true. You can't do it quickly. When Simon started... Oh, is he here? He is. Hi. I'll still use this example. Um, <laughs> when Simon first played hockey... Um, he had trouble, you know, <laughs> kept falling, you know. Within a couple of games, more stable, more and more stable. Practice, practice, practice. I got a cool video of him scoring a, a, a goal shot because he got taken down on the way to the net, and so he got a free um, penalty shot. He scored! He didn't happen overnight. It took time to plan in advance. I didn't get my driving habits figured out right away. My bad ones are just happened, you know? But the good transition takes intention. The Christian life is a life of intention. It doesn't just happen. Don't kid yourself. Knowing who we are in Christ is really important. Living like that, that's a whole new thing. Willing to stand alone when necessary. And they were. I remember another story. Same guy, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They uh, refused to bow and worship a, a statue. 
And they got caught. They got thrown in the fire. But they lived. They resolved. They were together. They weren't alone. Some of the meat offered was forbidden under Jewish law. That's why they did not eat the food that the king was offering them. That's why these men determined. That's why Daniel resolved not to. Because the conviction of his heart was greater than what was being presented. He chose what was right in the middle of wrong. He was determined not to give in to the pressure. How easy do we give in to pressure? Well, it's just easier. But what's the result? How many steps backward do we take? Three steps forward, two steps back, sometimes five steps back. And the recovery is a great difficulty. He was with others in his convictions. This is really important. I know growing up, our parents always told us, you know, you'll be like those you hang out with. Right? Who you're with is what you'll be like. Yeah, 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 right. Oh, shoot, they were right. It's still right today. Those you hang out with, you'll become more and more like. Either they influence you or you influence them. Very interesting. I see it all the time because I see so many groups of people in my work. Be careful who you hang out with. Really. Become like them or they'll become like you. Which one is it going to be? We're thinking about this whole idea of preparing in advance. Um, <laughs> fire department. <laughs> See, they, they do this training stuff so that when they show up on a scene, whether it's a car crash or a, a fire, they actually know what they're going to do in advance. They've actually played and role-played. I remember going into a building during some training time of, of a live fire that had this boards just a-burning. I got this awesome fire protection gear, except I was a little close. And I thought, I got, I'm the chaplain. i got to be a tough guy. I can't tell them this hurt. This is hot. You know, what are they going to do? They're going to laugh at me when I leave. You know, and sure enough, got out. I had burns underneath my coat on my shoulder and my legs because I was sitting and leaning to the fire and the other people behind me, we have the hose and we're learning to put the fire out. Man, it was hot. And then the other person who was leading me said, I was hot in there. Said, yes. And then I showed them. Said, Ooh, that's bad. I got burned. And uh, guess what that does next time? You learn from a mistake like that. You don't go as close. You listen to the, your body saying, ah, it's getting hot, back off. That's why when you touch a, a hot uh, thingy on the stove and it's super hot and your hand suddenly lets go, your body's telling, too hot, let go. More damage is coming if you don't. Your body's got built-in receptors to tell you your default settings. We're not wired for pain. But when the fire department plans out these scenarios, and I've watched many of them, car crash ones, a building on fire, a smoked out warehouse, and I got to observe how these guys get through with their lines and, and all the tricks they do and, uh, to get through it, so that in the event of a real circumstance, they've already rehearsed this, they know by default, without even having to think sometimes of what the reaction will be especially when they're looking for somebody in a house, when they're doing a house search. That's probably the scariest thing a firefighter can do, I think. They don't know if they find them alive or dead or just to see if they're there. They're not sure. But they're risking their lives to go in by default. 
Remember when I was crawling in, I had to learn, I had to hang on to the heel of the firefighter in front of me. I couldn't see a thing. It was like, I had this thing going, half panicking, but I was supposed to keep one hand on their heel to, to keep them within reach and one hand on the hose because that's my line out. That goes all the way to the outside. I didn't know that. If I let go of it, now I'm what? Now what? Now I'm guessing. I'm in danger. We've let go of many things, people. We have to look at our default settings and come to a place of being mindful of what's going on in our lives that, depending on the circumstances, some here are going through tough family circumstances. But that doesn't change you. So take the time to not be so controlled by your circumstances, but look inward and say, Father, I can't handle this stuff. It's too much, but can you center me? I don't have to make you the center of my life. You already are the center of my life. I can't see it. Can you show me one candle, the Christ candle? Show me the light in me because I'm having a hard time seeing it. If that's not you, then pray for others who are having a hard time seeing In 2020, maybe it's not so much about what you'll do, but what won't control us anymore. Maybe resolve to not allow certain circumstances or people to control you anymore. Maybe it's time to resolve that I am not a punching bag. I resolve to be treated as I was created to be treated as loved. It's going to be a hard one because there's a cost involved. Not easy. Surrender. Can we resolve in 2020 to surrender our so-called rights because we've given up all things? We've given up the right to be understood. That one's a hard one because I need to be understood, especially when I've been accused of something I didn't do or accused of an attitude I'm not carrying, but... They're telling me that's my attitude and it's not true. I want them to understand. I, to have to give that up is difficult. Because that's about control again. I want to control how I'm perceived. Ouch. How about take on commitments we've already agreed to? As in our default settings. To be people of peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, love. It doesn't mean a new commitment at all. It means, oh my goodness, Christ has committed his life to me. Now to let that live out. That doesn't seem like such a big to-do list anymore. Like some big contractual obligation that I hope I can live up to. Maybe it'll last longer than my gym membership. You know what I mean? Like Maybe it's not as difficult. Each one of you know what it is in your lives, in your hearts. That 2020 can be a new focus. Resolutions can be like Lent. Things to give up next year. Like, I'm not going to let bad attitudes control me anymore. I'm not going to only look for the negative. Or, I'm not going to let fear rule my consciousness. And the moment, and I pray God you do this for me, the moment I sense fear is controlling me, I will surrender it to the one who lives in me. 
when I sense bad attitude is controlling me, at the moment I sense that reality, I surrender. And we surrender these things that do not reflect the life of Christ. Huh. And by the way, anybody looking at you from the outside won't see a single difference necessarily. But you will. And then they'll see a difference. But your goal is not to get people to see a difference. That's ridiculous. But I need to let people see the light in me. Who said that? How about be light? Quit worrying about what you look like. That's so self-obsessed. Churchianity has messed us up. Love is patient. I resolve. Will you resolve to be patient because you are patient? It's not something new you have to add on. <laughs> it's already in you. You already have it. Will you resolve to be kind? Not that you have to get it because you don't have it. You already have it. It's in you. Each of us is kind. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. Love is not jealous. Are you jealous about other people's roles? Facebook's the worst for that. I want to be like them. I see their happy, happy world. Oh, please. Are you boastful? Always boasting about, look what my kid did. Look what I did. I, 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 me. Ooh. That's not love. That's self-seeking. Or proud. Are you rude? Give up rude. Great thing to give up for Lent. Great thing to resolve to not be rude. The difficulty is some of us have different definitions of what rude is. Those may conflict. Love does not demand its own way. I find this one really interesting because I always thought God demanded his way. He doesn't. He doesn't demand it. He invites us to live from him. <laughs> this one's brutal. Love is not irritable. If your regular disposition is irritable, that's not love. Being irritable once in a while does not say you're an irritable person. We get irritated at times. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the regular disposition, the propensity to always be, the propensity to always be rude, the propensity to always, you know what I mean, the patterns. If those patterns are evident in your life, those do not reflect the life of Christ in you, and it's time to surrender those and resolve to give those up but to instead be who you really are. Keeps no record of being wrong. That one's really hard. We think God keeps records of wrong, and he doesn't. We do, and we're good at it. Really good. But God doesn't. So maybe, Father, I surrender my need to keep a record of all their wrongs. Now, here's the difficulty of this one. Living in constant relationship, there are certain patterns that are very unhealthy in certain relationships. Does that mean we just let them keep going? No. It means we then in love confront so they too can become more like Christ. There are times to confront. We can forgive and then confront. But if we harbor and keep that list as a club, 
then we don't do it in love. We don't confront in love. We talked about that in the forgiveness series quite at length. But keeping record of wrong? Yep. Hmm. Yeah, but you always do that, says one spouse to another, always and often. <laughs> Those kinds of phrases are harmful. It means we are keeping a record of it. And yet, go see a good counselor. It, love does not rejoice about injustice. How many times have we misunderstood justice and have said, ha, that guy had it coming. Yeah. We kind of cheer. Somebody gets a payback. Karma. <laughs> we do that. Hmm. But is that love? Hmm. But we rejoice whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. This culture today needs to hear that one. True love. But what is love? My question is going to be, what is love? Love never gives up. Some of you have been through a lot of circumstances where it's been tough. You came through. Are we going through? Who knows? Love never uses, loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstances. And this love is agape. This love is agape. Other-centered love. 2020. What are you going to resolve to do? Let's read this in the Passion Translation because I think it's beautiful. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. Ouch, that would... That. That can smart somebody. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Ooh, that one's good. That one's really good. That's a whole sermon. Anyway, love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. This is not a marriage to-do list. This is God in you. Don't mix those up. There is hope. And I want to see 2020 as a year of much hope. We've just celebrated Christmas. So who is this kid? Who is this little kid? Angels greet with anthems sweet. What are we talking about? That'd be really funky to see, though. I wish I was in that field. I like last week's video when it talked about the shepherds in those fields were taking care of sacrificial lambs. It could very well have been the same field that David was in, shepherding sheep when he was called to be king. That's pretty wild. To the city of David. <laughs> God knows what he's doing. He's not done in your circumstances. He's not absent from the stuff you're walking through right now. When it's bad, he's crying with you, weeping with you. When a good joke comes your way, he's laughing with you. 
When you need comfort, he comforts you. He's not absent. You can scream, where's God in this? And you can, but maybe because subjectively you just can't feel him. But he's there, objectively. He holds you together. It's impossible for God to be absent from you. Impossible. This is the babe, the son of Mary. Put into her not of her choice. And the light of Christ has been put into you without your choice. And the light shines through. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to resolve? I heard Paul Anderson Walsh today uh, in his sermon in England, which is about 7 a.m. He said there's two steps in the journey of believers if you want to dumb it down to two. You believe in God and do you believe God? Great question. What's it going to be? Let's pray. Worship team. Heavenly Father, will you be our mindfulness in 2020? Will you not just tap us on the shoulder, whisper in our ear, or scream it through loudspeakers if we're that dull and can't hear you? Can you get our attention? Awaken us, first of all, to your presence in us and to your presence all around us and your light shining in all things. And teach us how to react from your life within us instead of from our fleshly patterns or from our ego. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers to come up. We're going to take up an offering. This offering is for Hope Fellowship's budget. If you're online, I encourage you to give as well. It makes a big difference. And thank you for those that are giving online. Uh, Year-end donations. If you're Canadian, tax receipts come out uh, after. You have to give them the 31st, and that's it. Uh, otherwise, 2000, January 1st, everything's in the new year. But uh, it's been a, a great ride. And check for your email this week as an update before the year end.